0: So this past summer, uh, Jill, my wife and I, we celebrated 20 years of being married together. Uh, which is a long time. I appreciate the, the trickling clapping. That's fantastic. Um, 20 years is a really long time because 20 years is almost half of my life. And to think of like what I was like 20 years ago, uh, I could easily say I probably wasn't ready to be married, but, um, I did. And, when I think about our relationship, and I spent some time thinking about it as we kind of approached our, our anniversary, I was thinking a lot of like, you know, how far we've come, and the experiences we've had, the challenges, and the blessings, and and all those different things that, that go with it, and I can remember how earlier on, uh, especially when I was, you know, 19, 20, uh, dating Jill, and uh, thinking like, what, it does she really like me? Does she? You know, Really feel strongly towards me. Like there was some insecurity in my feelings. And sometimes things would happen and I'd usually mess up because usually I'm, I'm the problem. I know it's me. Um, and I would do something and it would be dumb and it would kind of cause some friction and maybe we'd fight a little. And, and you know, that happened still over the 20 years, but early on, maybe a little more. And so my, my insecurity would be like, Oh, maybe she doesn't really like me. Maybe maybe this is too much. Maybe I messed up too much this time. And in my insecurity and in my immaturity, which was also a factor at that time, and not that is not a factor now, uh, sometimes instead of dealing with the issues, I would try to avoid the issues. I would try to pull back, and so much pull back that I would pretend like they didn't happen, but they really happened. And I'd have to force myself to move through issues. And thankfully, over time, I learned and matured a little and learned how to deal with some of this stuff. But early on, there was such insecurity and uncertainty of, I can't read this person's mind. What are they thinking? What do I do? How do I know if she was really the one I was supposed to marry? I don't think that anymore, by the way, just to clear that up. But those thoughts were there. Those thoughts were real. And, and I would ask myself those questions. And I think sometimes when we're in relationships, it doesn't matter if it's a romantic relationship or it's a friendship or if it's a family dynamic or it's our relationship with God. We're asking those questions like, is this relationship working out? Is there something here that's not working out so well? Sometimes we have that in our friendships where like someone will say something and it really hurts and maybe it wasn't intentional but it really hurts and so we kind of close off and maybe we stop talking to that person for a little while and they have no clue that they've stopped, you've stopped talking to them but there's this friction and this insecurity of going like are things okay? Sometimes in our relationships it's like that and I think especially in our relationship with God it can feel like that because unlike the person may be sitting next to you, the person you're married to, the person who lives in your home, or the person you work with, or the person you know really well, uh, the physicality of them being there can help in resolving a conflict or an uncertainty. Whereas with God, sometimes we just feel God is absent. With God, sometimes we just feel like maybe there is something wrong there. Maybe he isn't so happy with me. Maybe he isn't wanting to talk to me right now. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to ask the question, how do I know my relationship with God is good? How do I know? If this is a spouse, if this is a best friend, if this is a family member, you can ask that question, and maybe there's going to be some similarity to what I'm going to share this morning, but usually it's a lot easier to figure out because we can go, hey, are we good? And they'll say yes or no, and you go, all right, let's go. Whereas with God, sometimes that lack of response which could be a response, can leave us wondering. And so as we've been in this series in the book of James, we've looked at what James has been saying about what it means to be following Jesus. What does it look like as someone who says they follow Jesus, and how should their life reflect it? And what James does in his in his letter, in his book, is he has 12 really wise statements that he kind of works through, and this is going to be one of them that we're going to work through. Because in this section that we're going to look at in James chapter 4 is James explaining how you know if your relationship with God is good or not. That how you can know that is the evidence that is displayed through your life. I just kind of ruined it for you, but that's it. James is going to go into what he understands the biblical instruction is on how you know if your relationship with God is good. And it might surprise us a little bit. Because what he says might be different than what we might be thinking right now. So let's jump into James chapter 4, verse 1. And let's see what James has to say. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Why are there reasons for you to be not getting along? Now, I said, what we're going to answer is, how do you know your relationship with God is good? What he's addressing right now is, how do you know your relationship is not good with somebody else? Why are there fights and quarrels amongst you? Maybe we can think of our marriages. Maybe we can think of our coworkers. Maybe we can think of our teacher, professor, classroom situations. Maybe we can think of our church. Maybe we can think of our families. We could probably think of a handful of things of going, hey, there's quarrels and there's fights amongst us. Well, James asked the question, well, why are these fights happening? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Why do you fight? Now, there's some extreme language about killing and quarreling and stuff, so you might, I'm not saying you're going out killing, so don't and keep it that way. But he says, well, why does this happen? Why does this happen? I mean, if we, we go deeper, we can say, well, Jesus actually says that when you speak harshly to someone, When you're insulting someone, it is like you are murdering them. So yeah, so maybe we are killing each other slowly. So why does this happen, James says? He says, well, here's here's why it happens. Because there's something in you that you are dissatisfied with. Because there is something in you that is causing this. Now, if you're anything like me, when you get in a disagreement with someone, your first thought is, what the heck is wrong with that person? Why are they not listening to me? Why are they not doing the right thing? James' answer is that's not the right question because what's really you should be asking is what's wrong inside of you? What's going on inside of you that is causing this friction? Why is it happening? James would say, well, there's some desire in you that's at battle. And what he's going to point to as we're going to go through this, is basically you have a selfish desire. You want what you want. And if you're not getting what you want, there's going to be a fight. If your desire is solely on, well, how does this make me feel? How do I feel about this? What do I get out of this? Then yes, there will be quarreling amongst us. Because the other person's probably doing the same thing. And chances are you both don't want the same thing. So whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our friendships, whether it's in any context we find ourselves in, if what is inside of us is all about our selfish or self-reflected desire, we're going to fight. There's no way around it. But he continues. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Why are you fighting? It's because internally there is a desire you have that you are not getting. And you are letting it out in your fight. And you don't have what you want because you're not asking, James says. And you're not getting what you want because the thing you're asking for is coming out of the wrong motives. It's a selfish desire. If you say, I want us to be really good friends, but only if you agree with everything I say, that comes out of a selfish desire. If you say, I want our marriage to flourish, but only if you do everything I tell you to do, that is a selfish desire. Those are unhealthy human dynamics. If the relationships are all about you, there will be fights. If you say, I love this church as long as it does everything I tell it to do, that's not healthy. James's point is that when we quarrel, when we fight, it's because there's something inside of us. So what this should cause us to do is not to say, man, I'm always the problem, but it should make us reflect and ask ourselves, when, when was the last time I got into a fight? When was the last time I got into, like, not a disagreement, like, I want to watch this show, you want to watch that show, but a real, real quarrel, as James would say. Where's the motivation for it coming from? James is saying, you're asking for something that's not yours to get, and that's causing it. When we get into disagreements, we should be reflecting not on why is the other person acting the wrong way, but what is it that I'm actually looking for in it? James would say, Scripture would say, because James is part of Scripture, that if it is out of selfish motivation for you just to get what you want, that's wrong. And that's why you're fighting. If you want to resolve your conflicts, you got to stop being so Selfish. That's not to say you are always wrong when there's a fight. But it is to say, when there is a quarrel, when there is a fight, you should pause, pray, reflect. Is this me? What am I looking for here? And submit that to God. James is going to continue. In verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendships with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? James says, the first sign things are not right with you and God is, well, you have selfish motivations and you're fighting with other people. The second sign is you have aligned yourself in the way of the world, he says. You understand your surroundings, you understand your world based on what the world has told you and not based on what God's been saying. So that means when you get into those quarrels and those conflicts, you go, okay, well, what do, what does my world say? You know, maybe your quarrel and conflict is around something very real and very serious. And you have to ask yourself, well, is, what does God say about this topic? Or are you just going, well, what does Wikipedia say? What does Reddit say? What does the internet say? What does my best friend say? If you only listen, to voices other than God's. You are going the way of the world. That's what James is saying. And sometimes they might be the right ways, but if that is the only voice you're listening to, that is the wrong way. How do you know you have a rocky relationship with God? Well, you're having fights with other people, you have selfish motivations, and you just go the way of the world. You don't discern what is good or what is right or what is bad. You just follow. You just go. So James is saying to this church, and he's trying to challenge them in their thinking. Now, they lived in a context that's very different than ours, uh, but they dealt with similar issues. They dealt with issues around uh, who they are as human beings and how they treat each other. In their world... They would say, well, this is how you treat each other. Not in the church context, but in the Roman Empire world. Someone was not of value to you if they couldn't do something for you or provide something for you. So if someone couldn't do something for you or provide something for you, you wrote them off. They don't matter. So if someone was, in their world examples, poor, they were worthless. If someone was, in their world examples, a woman... of the time, they didn't matter. The way of the world, in their world, would say, that's okay. The way of Jesus was different. And while their world is different, the principle stands the same. What are the things in this world that we're told that maybe go against what the Bible says, what Scripture says, what the church has taught, and how do we wrestle with it? Do we just go, eh, let's just go the way of the world, or do we actually discern and listen to Scripture and the voices of this world and figure it out together? James would say, here's here's the issues with your relationship with God. You're fighting, you're selfish, you're just going the way of the world. And the good news, though, is this. He says in verse 6, But he, being God, gives us more grace. This is why scripture says, God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. This first section that we looked at in chapter 4, these first few verses, James is outlining what your relationship with God looks like when it's not good. You are fighting, you are selfish, you're going the way of the world, you have selfish desires, it's just all about you. And he says, well, there's good news about that. That might be the symptom, that might be the, the diagnosis, but there is a cure. And God is gracious. If you are someone who, if you actually just looked at that passage and said, what does this say about my relationship with God? And you would look at what your relationships are like with other people what your desires are, how much you actually listen to Scripture or the teaching of Scripture. And if you would look at those and it would resemble more the negative announcements that James is making here, you've got a rough relationship going right now with God. You do not have a good relationship with God. It is evidenced in how we have a relationship with others. But he says there's good news no matter how bad your relationship might be right now, his grace is more. This is the amazing thing we need to learn about God and also about ourselves. You are not more powerful than God. You cannot fully stop him from loving you. You cannot stop him from offering you a second chance. No matter how bad those relationships are, no matter how selfish you are, no matter how little you've been paying attention to him in general, he says, hey, here's another chance. He opposes the proud but lifts up the humble. It means we need to be humble about our approach so far. If you look at the diagnosis that James gives of what a healthy or what a negative relationship with God looks like right now, and if you fit that, you have an option. You can be proud and say, I'm going to keep doing it this way. Or you can be humble and say, does God have a better way, and can I find it? And James is going to give us that better way. This is the cure to the problem. He says this, he says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you so you have a rocky relationship with God it's evidence through your relationships with other people it's evidence through your selfish desires it's evidence through the fact that you don't actually pay attention to scripture and listen to the words that God says and you rather listen to the world around you he is hum he is gracious and if you're humble you have a second chance here's how you can fix the problem you start with submitting yourself to God submission is a language that a lot of us are uh, let's just say apprehensive about because we have heard and we have seen it used negatively We don't always like the idea of not getting our way and submitting. To submit yourself to God is to trust God's way is better than your way. And I have to tell you, no matter how good your way might be, it's not better than God's. To submit yourself to God is to trust that he knows more than you. And I have to tell you, no matter how smart you are, and you are a very smart bunch, you don't know more than God. To submit yourself to God is to know and believe that he loves you no matter what, more than you love yourself. And I hope you love yourself, but God loves you way more. To submit is to trust and to follow him. To submit is to say, God actually knows better than me. It might be hard. Actually, it will be hard but it's to know that that's true. You start with that. So you start with submission, and then you move to discipline, which is another word that we don't like. Submit yourself to God, meaning I trust God's ways, I trust his love, I trust his care, and then discipline yourself. He would say, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist temptation. All of us face temptation and a desire to do certain things that maybe are different than what God wants for us. He says, resist. Discipline yourself. Choose. You have choice. Choose. He has more solutions. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Submit yourselves to God. Choose, resist the devil. And then he says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. One of the things that we forget way too often, and it's my objection to a lot of modern worship songs, is God, the Holy Spirit, is with you always. God is always with you. You're just not always aware of it. His wording is if you draw near to God, you become more aware of his presence. God is always with you. Practice spiritual practices that draw you into that relationship. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Read your scriptures. Pray. Fast. Whatever spiritual practices draw you into God's presence, because he's already there, bring that awareness. Do it. Submit yourselves. Discipline yourselves. Practice spiritual practices. Confess. Confess your sins. All of us sin. It says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The language of sin in the New Testament, it, sometimes there are different words that get used. One uh, word that gets sometimes used is transgressions. And transgressions and sins are different. Uh, there's a reason why the words are different. Sin is your willful choice to disregard God. In Scripture, sin is your willful decision to say, God, you say this, but I know better, and go the other direction. James says, wash your hands of that. Confess that. Confess that. And then when you confess it, make sure you take it seriously. He says, grieve, mourn, wail. How often, because let's be honest, we all sin. Yes, Jesus died and rose again so you could find freedom from it but you still choose it. But how often do you actually lament, mourn, wail, grieve about what you've done? Take your sin seriously. It is separating you from God. If you're not sure what your relationship with God is like, well, here's the evidence that James is setting up. You are fighting with people. Your relationships are broken. You are selfish. You just want what you want. You're not actually listening to God. And he says, but God is gracious, and here's his strategy to fix it. You need to submit to God. You need to discipline yourself. You need to have spiritual practices. You need to confess. And you need to take your sin seriously. And then he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. When you can recognize and admit and draw yourself back into that relationship and say, I didn't know best, He will lift you up. Our responsibility is not to fix our problems. Our responsibility is to be faithful to what God invites us into. And we are invited to be faithful to a life of following Jesus that would demonstrate through our relationships how strong that relationship with him is. How can you know if your relationship with God is good? there will be evidence. And your evidence is in your relationships with each other. If you're wondering, if you're not sure, take a look around you and honestly assess those relationships. But what can you do if you want to prove, improve your relationship with God? What can you do to make things better? James lays it out clear, and it's what I've said throughout this time. You start with submitting to God, trusting that God knows best. You move from submitting to God but keeping that central to yourself of going, okay, you need to discipline yourself to choose not to do the things that are not in submission with God, to choose to avoid that temptation, to choose not to embrace something that is clearly wrong. And you also have to Get closer to God. And you do that through spiritual practices. Making a point of reading your scriptures. Making a point of praying. Making a point of being in church. Making a point of being in a small group. Making a point of singing in worship. These things all draw us more into this relationship. God is always present. We're just not always aware. These things help. And confess. Confess your sin. We're not perfect, and that's okay. Because God is gracious. And he lifts up the humble. Just admit to it. Confess the wrong that you know is there. And in that, take it seriously. Don't just be like, oh yeah, God, I confess. I grew up within no real religious tradition, but we did have some Catholic roots, so I remember going to confession, confession. I think I did it once. And basically you just give a list of like, oh yeah, I said this to my mom. Oh yeah, I did this. Oh yeah, I did this. I didn't take it seriously. I pray and hope that those who go to Catholic traditions of confession, they do take it seriously. When you go to God, confess and take it seriously. When you confess and take it seriously, it means you go, help me not do this again. But also humble yourself. The fact is, as smart, as wonderful, and as great as you are, God knows more. God cares more. And as much as you know, as much as you think you know, you have a lot to learn. We all do. Humble yourself before God. Trust Him and choose to follow Him. If there's evidence that your relationship with God is not as good as maybe you want it to be, or you know it should be, it's going to be shown in your relationships, it's going to be shown in your desire. It's going to be shown where you look for your solutions. If you want to change that, submit to God, discipline yourself, get close to God, confess your sins, and humble yourself. He is gracious. He provides that opportunity, and he provides a solution to the problem. I pray you embrace that solution. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth that you are gracious. That wherever we find ourselves this morning, uh, thinking, thinking through this question of what our relationship is with you, that you are so gracious that you will give us any opportunity we need to draw closer to you, to be known more by you and know you more. That Jesus, through your death and resurrection, you provided a way for us to live, that can bring life, but we don't always choose it. I pray, Holy Spirit, you help us choose the way of life, the way of hope that only you can provide. I pray that as we go from here into a meeting, and as we've hopefully reflected in this short time, but we'll take time to reflect this week as well, we ask ourselves the question, what is our relationship with you like? And we are honest about it. And in that honesty, we submit to you, trusting that you care, you love us, and want what's best. God, I pray for myself and for all of us that we can have humble hearts and trust you even when we struggle with it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.